Hey everyone, welcome to Unrefined Women. I am your co-host Agnes. And I'm the other co-host Margaret. This podcast is an ongoing dialogue between two sisters on the topics of spirituality, religious trauma, mental health, family dynamics, and feminism. We're very grateful you could join us today. All right, so shifting into more deeper topics, which which topic that we're talking about today do you want to cover first? Um, I think I kind of want to cover your topic first because I think we might have a little bit more to say about it, but that's just my opinion. I don't know. What do you think? I guess we'll figure it out. I don't know. Well, yeah, we'll we can start with out. mine Okay. just because I'm like super tired and I'm already half asleep. So let's just get, Me get my too. portion out of the way. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So for my portion of the conversation, I wanted to talk a little bit about the latest school shooting and the whole string of continued school shootings in America. Uh, most recently, the Nashville school shooting. So I'm going to be completely honest with you. This shooting, I think, happened, what, a couple weeks ago now? I think. I don't even know the date. I think it was, I think it was like a week ago. Maybe it was. It I don't know. It was pretty recent. But, but here's the thing. I'm going to be honest with you. I am so just, like, I, I don't have the capacity to deal with the grief of, of the shooting that I just have been completely avoiding the news. Like I, I don't, I don't even think I knew that a shooting had happened until a couple days after it had happened. And someone mentioned it to me and I was like, I have no idea what you're talking about. And honestly, like I need to stop talking because I literally cannot handle this right now. Yeah. Um, so when we decided that probably we should talk about it on the podcast, I was like, oh, crap. I need to like actually like educate myself on this topic that I've been avoiding since it happened because I just can't. Um, so literally as of like a few hours ago, I didn't really know anything about it other than a shooting happened at a school in Nashville. That's like literally all I knew. So do you happen to know anything about it? I remember the morning of and reading like the initial news articles about it um, and then also seeing pictures of the victims. That's kind of it. Okay. Okay. See, I haven't even like really gone that deep. (laughs) Um, Anyway, so this this shooting happened, I don't know, a week or two in Nashville. Um, From what my understanding of it is, is that the shooter was like 28 years old. Um, I guess where I'm confused is that the shooter was a female at birth, but went by he, him pronouns. Um, and so in a, so in a lot of news articles, uh, they refer to the shooter as sometimes he, sometimes she. So there's like different pronouns, which is, you know, I'm not really sure like how the person identified. Um, and this person went to the school that, that they shot or they shot up when they were younger. Um, and the school, I think was like, Cov- it's like covenant school. It's a private Presbyterian mm-hmm. school in Nashville. And, uh, three, three, nine year olds and three teachers were, or three, like, I think it was like the head of the school and then like a janitor or a custodian. And then a teacher were mm-hmm. also killed. I'm not totally sure how many were injured. Um, with this particular shooting, it sounds like police were able to arrive relatively quickly. I think within 15 minutes, um, um, and they were able to stop the shooter. And um, a, a lot of the articles that I was kind of reading on it were really kind of, um, you know, speaking to how courageous the teachers were in this situation. I guess this particular school has really put their teachers through a lot of training to prepare for this kind of thing. And apparently that really kind of paid off. 
Um, the teachers did a really great job of, of like barricading the doors, putting the children in parts of the classroom so they were safe because I guess the shooter did shoot through several doors, but the students were kind of like in sections of the classroom where if someone was shooting through the door, no one would get hit by stray bullets. Mm-hmm. So I don't think that any anyone that was inside a classroom was injured or killed. Um, the only people that were injured or killed were people that happened to be in the hallway at the time that the shooter came into the school. Um, gosh, I just realized that really we should have like a trigger, like a whole trigger warning on this episode. Yeah. <laughs> As I'm talking about it. Um, hopefully, hopefully the, uh, just the title of it speaks to itself. Um, of course, now that this has occurred, we're kind of in the same sort of like news cycle and the same grief cycle that happens after every school shooting where, you know, people are grief stricken, people are emotional, people are calling for, well, you have people on the right that are calling for what thoughts and prayers and people on the left that are like policy and reform, you know, like action and policy change and all that stuff. So we're just kind of locked into the same rhetoric, the same fight of like, how do we actually prevent this from happening again? Um, of course, the, the left and the Democrats want to, you know, ban assault weapons. And the right is, of course, fighting back and saying, no, that's not the solution. We need to arm teachers. We need to have schools more, um, you know, guarded. We need to have teachers trained in, you know, how to deal with these situations. Um, I do think because the teachers were so well prepared for this training, I think that that's really being used as an, as a kind of a, a solution to help, you know, have less deaths in school shootings, but still the fact that we're even having school shootings is problematic. Um, so I think that's also partly why I just feel so drained by it all because I feel like this is just like old, it's terrible. This is, this is like old news now. Like this happens all the time. And in fact, uh, I'll have to look up the statistic on this. There's been just in 2023, do, 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 do. This is the 19th school shooting just in 2023, and we're just barely in April. We There have been 42 school shootings since the Uvalde, I think I said that right, Uvalde, Texas mm-hmm. shooting last year in May, which left 21 people dead. So, I mean, that's 42 school shootings in less than a year, which is just unfathomable. Um, most of these shootings are individuals that are using assault weapons like an AR-15 and so I was reading an article by Robert Reich Um, I'm a big fan of a lot of his work and so he was really giving some interesting insights into the AR-15 the AR-15 really is a weapon that was created for the military and wasn't really used that much before the Vietnam War Um, I think that I have to pull up the article while we're talking, but my understanding of this assault weapon is that really that like normal Americans didn't have access to it until, gosh, I think after Vietnam War. And what happened was there actually became kind of a stagnation in people purchasing firearms. And Robert Reich really does really covers this type of stuff a lot where he talks about like, you know, follow the money and how lobbyists really, um, 
you know, they're so influential in policy change or blocking policy change. And so there was kind of a stagnation in firearm purchases. And so lobbyists were trying to find ways to kind of like spike gun sales and kind of funnel more money into that industry. And so they started having all this propaganda around assault weapons and how cool they look and, you know, just really like kind of making it trendy, I guess, to have an assault weapon. And they were able to make it where a normal American could purchase it. And then Bill Clinton Clinton passed some legislation in 1994 where there was a 10-year assault weapon ban. And so you couldn't actually purchase any of those those firearms uh, from 1994 all the way to 2004. So there's some interesting statistics that we see here um, before the assault weapon ban, during the assault weapon ban, and then since 2004 after the assault weapon ban. So um, from 1981, that's the earliest year analyzed from... Uh, from researchers did when they were looking at trends in mass shootings and school shootings and assault weapon purchases. So 1981 up until 1994 when they were banned, uh, the number of shootings, let's see, the number of annual deaths or yearly deaths attributed to mass shootings was about 7.2 a year. So you had about 7.2 deaths a year as a result of mass shootings uh, uh, from assault weapons. Okay, then began the ban in 1994. So between 1994 and 2004, the average number of yearly deaths from mass shootings fell to 5.3. So it falls just a, like about two people. Um, now that also includes during the assault weapon ban was when we had the Columbine High School massacre, which was the deadliest mass shooting of that whole period. And even still, with the one of the deadliest mass shootings, still that number was, was an average of 5.3. So that kind of shows that when assault weapons were banned, how drastically that number dropped. Now, after that assault weapon ban has expired, the average number of people killed in a mass shooting every year is, is 25. So it has, like, gone up substantially from 5.3 to 25 people. That's not even including the thousands and thousands of people that are injured. So, and that's just like an average. So, um, that I felt like really just kind of, to me, it kind of painted a picture because personally, I feel like when we talk about guns and I think this is, I think another topic where things, there's a lot of gray area is abortion. Like we've talked about that a lot on our podcast, but when it comes to firearms and firearm rights and what types of policies should be protecting people from the violence of firearms. There's so much gray area, and I feel like it's really hard to just find one thing that you can kind of point at and go, yes, this is the, this is the direct cause to these issues. Um, because there's so many different variables here. Like, let's take a look at Europe, for example. Right? There's no firearms in Europe, and or no firearms are, are allowed in Europe. And so they have like hardly any shootings at all. But the thing is, is that also their social safety nets are way more robust in Europe than they are here. I personally feel like the fact that we live in a culture that is so divisive, there's so much violence, um, people, and a lot of that is because we have no social safety nets here. We have a lack of community here in America. You have so many people born into poverty, people with no resources, people with lack of resources. So you have people from their very early childhood being born into environments that are traumatic, where they don't have resources, they don't have their basic needs met. 
And so I think our culture from the very beginning, from the very foundation is very sick and it breeds this kind of violence. And so it's really, really hard to just say, well, if we took away assault weapons, um, you know, that would fix the problem. I think it would help. I think that research shows that it would help. But would it solve the problem completely? I don't think so, because I think that our culture is sick. I really like how you're bringing the idea of our culture into why this is such a profound issue in our country, because I have had many conversations with people who are very much for the idea of owning guns and they love the idea of guns and they harp on, um, they're just disgusted at the fact that there are people out there that think that Um, Americans shouldn't be allowed to have guns and they like to I mean I've heard tons of different analogies um, and some of them are relate to um, Australia so I don't really know the details of it but I think um, correct me if I'm wrong I think it was the the 90s or the early 2000s Australia had uh, banned weapons and I, I really truly don't know the background of it but there was just a really bad backlash and there was just a bunch of things that happened and um that from the from Australia banning weapons and I've heard a lot of Americans who are pro-gun like to use analogies like that in order to compare what would happen in America if we banned guns and right now with a lot of the issues that we're dealing with uh, with the Ukraine and Russia war just all the civil unrest that's happening over in the Middle East and now it's you know it's pouring into Europe there's just so much and, and then we have the you know issues in Mexico and uh, immigration just so many different things that America feels threatened by and kind of I, I've, I've heard a lot of the the argument of Americans not being able to have guns they say that we are then surrendering ourselves to the threats or these these uh threats internationally and there's this fear that like if Americans give up their guns then Russia is going to come in and invade us or North Korea is going to come in and invade us and I, I see this a lot and I think that people like to take away the picture that you and I are looking at, like the the stuff that we see on the news, the, the direct issue that we're seeing in our country on how guns are affecting and killing children um, to what could be in like a grand political picture of things. If you, if you hear mm-hmm. what I'm, if, if that makes sense. So, right. It's like, it's like, oh, let me, you know, we don't want to address the actual issue that's happening right now every day in our schools in America, because if we try to fix this issue, then potentially we might be causing the downfall hypothetically, you know, maybe in the future <laughs> of right. our society. You know, it's kind of these big sort of lofty ideas. Like, yeah. never mind that we have like the biggest, most robust military in the entire world. <laughs> Yeah. And, and, but the thing is, is a lot of people are afraid that that's no longer the case in America because America, the, the military in America has dwindled a lot, especially after, um, you know, 
troops came back from the Middle East back in, I, I don't know the whole like background of it, but you know, we had all everything after 9-11 and the early 2000s and then the troops came back and we started to see how the military was affecting people. And at the law firm that I work at, we deal with military law. So I directly see the way that, um, violence affects people. Right. And Mm -hmm. now less and less people are joining the military, but the people that are joining the military are doing it for welfare purposes. The military has turned into this. I I can't think of the word, but it's, it's like a welfare project, right? They're just, they're it's for the, it's for poor people, right. To give them free college, to give them, well, yeah, which is like so problematic in it on its own because you're literally make again, you're going back to a situation like we're in a situation in our country where people feel like they have no options. And yeah. so your only option is to exploit yourself, put yourself in a violent situation so that you can maybe get some kind of a leg up and get your basic needs met. You're exactly. not going to you're not going to you're not going to see a rich person going and putting their child out there in the Middle East to get shot at. It's it's the poor people that feel like they have no choice but to go be shot at in the Middle East or wherever they're sent. Exactly. And then with this, the military has to add more and more incentive, which is money, towards the people that are joining the military. So they have to pay them a little bit more and give them more and more benefits in order for them to even be motivated to join the military or be in the military, which means the military isn't investing as much money into building a functional and productive army and militia versus providing for their for their soldiers so that they don't leave them you know so it's this like weird balance of where they're investing their money into and it's really hard to discuss because it's like you know in general it sucks that you know the military and governments in general have to invest in violence but it just goes to show that I I feel like Americans like to believe that we're invincible with our guns when in reality we're already kind of dwindling already, if that makes sense. And I think that people need to look at this from a, from a more like personal standard rather than the big, big picture. I don't know. It's a really tough subject because it's like, I know so many people that are pro gun and so many people that are against guns and like me truly, like personally, I have a hard time. Like I, not that I bounce back and forth at all, but I, I'm one of those people where I just don't like picking sides and I'm very much like a medium person. So it's difficult to discuss, but it is scary that this is like what number did you say number 19 of school the 19th school shooting Mm -hmm. in 2023 we're we're barely four months into the year that's terrifying yeah yeah and it's i think like kind of like what i was saying before and i feel like you kind of said this too it's just this is this is one of those topics where there's so many people that are good, like there's so many good people and there's so many people with not great intentions that are on mm-hmm. both sides of this argument. So it's really hard and it's just, it's not so black and white. I feel like now mm-hmm. I think there's elements that kind of are black and white, a little more black and white to me. I feel like, um, you know, to me, I feel like personally, I feel like an average American should not be able to just walk into a gun store and purchase an assault weapon, um, that can cause a mass shooting. Like, 
I think that, like, even if assault weapons were to be legal, I think it needs to be way stricter and way harder to be able to get access to one. Um, you know, and as far as, like, shooting goes, like, you know, I, I have a shotgun. Like, I grew up shooting, like, for mm-hmm. sport. And... You know, I get it. Like, it's very nostalgic for people. It's such a like symbol of Americanism and all that stuff. And I and I and I understand like the sporting aspect of shooting. Like, you know, it is it is an entire sport. People shoot competition. Um, people hunt, and and so there is like a whole sport element to it. And I think there's nothing wrong with that. Um, and a lot of that is also very grounded in gun safety and education. Um, but when we have people that have no education on, on weapons that are able to just walk into a store and purchase something that can kill many, many people in a very short amount of time, it's very problematic. Yeah. And one thing I just thought of off the top of my head is this idea of owning guns being a core American value. And I see that a lot, just the, you know, I'm an American and it is my right and my freedom. It always has been and it always will be for me to own a gun and do with what I please and wear it on my belt, my waist. And in Arizona, I see that all the time. Um, You know, people have their guns just sitting on their their waistband. And the issue that I kind of have with that is that slavery was a core American value. The, Mm. the oppression and ownership of women was a core American value. There's so many other things that are, that are core American values. And obviously they are not moral whatsoever. And I'm not here to say that owning guns necessarily is immoral, but we need to change the narrative to what is a core American value, to what is something that I'm going to choose to do because I believe it is for the, the safety of me and the people that I love and how am I going to um, indulge in this privilege or, or in, in this idea in a safe and productive way, you know? Because I just... I see so many times people use situations like that. Their, their only excuse is that I'm an American and this is my core American value. I don't yeah. think it's productive. And quite frankly, it seems to be more harmful than not. Mm. Yeah, it's a good point. And I think like, you know, people like to use that word, right? Like it's my, it's my American right. Or it's my God given right. Like religious people will say that, that they own a gun. But I remember being 15 years old, you know, and going through driving school and it's like pounded into you that driving and having a driver's license is a privilege. So Mm -hmm. it's like, you know, both of these, like a car and a gun are both can be killing machines. Mm -hmm. Um, But one is a right and one is a privilege that just doesn't add up to me. It doesn't make sense to me that one is a right and one is a privilege when they both can kill many people Mm -hmm. and they both do kill many people every year. Mm -hmm. So anyway, um, (laughs) any, I know this could be a whole, a whole series, but I didn't want to dive too, too, too deep into these topics Um, again, just because, you know, we kind of did some research and we're kind of just unpacking our in real time thoughts on the, on the topics, but um, anything else, any questions you had about the school shootings? Cause I feel like I kind of covered the important bullet points that I wanted to talk about. 
No, I think that's kind of the gist of it, but it's, I honestly, I just some of the internal feelings I'm having right now is how long ago the Uvalde shooting really was versus how little time I feel like has passed since then. Didn't you say it happened in May of 2022? Yeah. So just under a year ago. That is like, that blows my, I feel, it feels like it was yesterday. I remember the day that happened and to think of how many school shootings have happened since just that incident, it's, it blows my mind. It's, it's horrifying. It is. All right, let's shift on to the Trump indictment. You're up, Agnes. <laughs> so the Trump indictment. So one of my good friends is obsessed with this idea. And we just get in all these good this, this, these conversations about it. And so many people that I know are just... This is, I feel like this is a little bit more of like a lighthearted topic versus what we just discussed. Right? Very obviously. Like, because something this, good is actually happening. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I feel like... The Trump indictment is almost humorous because it's such like a like I remember back. I don't know what year, but when Trump was impeached and it was just it was just so weird. And it was like this is never or I've, this is like I don't I don't know if this is, it's ever happened before, but it's like it's just something that none of us have experienced in our lifetime. And yeah, well, the wait, Trump Bill Clinton was impeached. That, yeah, I was just thinking, I was like, I can't say this is the first time it's happened, but at, le- but at least yeah, people no, in a mind, like, I don't remember any of that. So, um, yeah. anyways, back on Thursday, which is March 30th, Donald Trump, who's the former president of the United States, in case you didn't know, <laughs> was indicted by a New York grand jury and the allegations were that he initiated a hush money scheme and cover up towards an adult film star named Stormy Daniels, which dates back to his 2016 presidential campaign. So I, this is just me doing like very basic cover research, what I know, listening to NPR podcast episodes and just some like random articles from what I'm understanding. And please correct me if I'm wrong. It started during the 2016 presidential election and it's been kind of like an ongoing situation since then. I'm not sure if there's, there's a date on when this hush money thing ended so um oh, the so allegation this, this wasn't so wait this wasn't like a one-time thing this has been like a continued from my understanding like, yes arrangement yes from okay. my understanding so the allegation was conducted mainly by manhattan district attorney alvin bragg who has committed a very long time <laughs> like this has been his sole purpose in life since 2016 or whenever he discovered this um to bring this issue to light um so there is a lot of hate on this guy a lot of love on this guy there is so much controversy on whether this guy is crazy or if he was actually doing something good for our country so uh, former president trump has his arraignment on tuesday which is tomorrow which would have been yesterday when this episode released so i'm curious to know what ends up happening with it so that's on april 4th where he will be booked and he will get his fingerprints taken and his mugshot taken (gasps) no yes no so there are a lot of question marks on whether we're gonna see donald trump in handcuffs (laughs) 
Oh my God. Juicy, like juicy. he is being, he is going to be arrested. So <laughs> more than likely. So from the, there is a lot of question marks. A lot of people are going to be like, are, are asking, what is this going to look like? So right now, New York city is a shit show. Um, where the arraignment is, the courthouse where the arraignment is happening is just on fucking lockdown. They're expecting, violence they are expecting protests they're expecting cheering they're expecting just thousands of people to be trying to witness this historic masterpiece of whatever (laughs) so um there's just question marks on like what's really going to happen because this has never happened before we have never had a president or a former president be indicted and arrested Especially for something as morally questionable as hush money towards an adult film star. So, um, yeah. yeah. So the reaction. I just feel like, hold on. I hold on. I feel like I just have to look this. I have to like fact check this because I feel like there have been some presidents in the past that have done some shady shit. And I'm just curious if any former presidents. They've done shady shit, but have they been legally accountable for it? All right, that's what I want to look up. Combo. Hang on. Give me give me one second. Okay. Give me one second. <laughs> oh my god, it literally popped up as I was typing it in. So I wonder how many Ooh. other people are Googling this right now. Ooh, Ulysses S. Grant was the first president to be arrested. Oh. Donald Trump is yeah, Donald Trump is the first former U.S. president to face criminal charges, but Ulysses S. Grant mm. was the first president to be arrested. This is ah. according to an NPR. Oh, this is according to an NPR document today. I love so NPR. So apparently, this is <laughs> so apparently this is a big hot topic, and I wonder yeah. now why Ulysses S. Grant was arrested. Hold on a second. Let me just look at this real quick. Oh. <laughs> my god he was arrested how cute is this so ulysses s grant was arrested in 1872 because he was speeding down washington uh, washington dc street in his horse and buggy oh my god (laughs) wait hold on hold on donald trump wishes Uh, oh my god wait hold on i'm trying to read this real quick i'm gonna see if anything else happened uh Mm-hmm. Oh, hold on. There's like a whole thing. I got to read this real quick. One second. So, <laughs> guys, I'm just referencing an NPR article, and this like just came out today on April 3rd. Do, 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 do. Okay. So, the president. Okay. This is like a whole. Okay. So, I'm just going to read like a quick dialogue that was going on between a host and some person named John Marzalek. Marzalek, I believe. Okay. So, the host says. The president was Ulysses S. Grant, and it happened while he was in office. In 1872, President Grant was speeding down a Washington, D.C. street in his horse and boogie. John Malz, Malz, I'm just going to call him John. I can't pronounce his last name. John responded, and he stopped, and he stopped by a police officer, an African-American by the name of William West. Historian John, oh my God, hold on. I can't even read this. This is so confusing the way they have it like laid out um hold on let me skim down the article all right so he says mr president you're going too fast the president goes oh i know i was going too fast i promise i'll never it again it gets better when the next day the same officer saw the president speeding again down the street (laughs) in his horse and buggy (laughs) the officer stopped him again and says i'm gonna have to arrest you so he takes him down to the station (laughs) 
West, the officer, was a little embarrassed because, after all, this was the President of the United States, but he had to do his duty. President Grant apologized to the officer, and he said, I know I was speeding. You should arrest me. Don't feel badly about it. <laughs> this oh, is just no. like, hel- this is hilarious. Oh, my God. Uh, so, yeah, let's see. He had to pay his $20 his $20 bond for speeding and his horse and buggy. That's whole. (laughs) Wow. Okay. So there you go. There was one other president that was arrested. Like, for just ridiculous. Well, you proved me (laughs) wrong, Margaret. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Back to Trump. So for horse and buggy. Wow. Okay. That is comical. I know. Donald Trump wishes he is. He wishes he got arrested for that instead. Because this is quite embarrassing, which is what I want to get into. Because <laughs> the reaction from Trump's like allies and followers are that this whole allegation is politically motivated rather than a fair process of justice, which is to go back, um, you know, for the Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg, he spent years studying this and everyone's convinced that the only reason why this is even being brought to light the only reason why this is an issue is because it is donald trump and because he is the former president and a lot of people don't like him so the question is would this be a legal issue especially at the level in which it is because he's being federally charged i believe he's being federally charged or i'm not sure actually now i'm just making things up i can't remember if he's being federally charged or just charged by the state of new york um but either way I think, hold on i th- think it's by the state of new york because i did see an article where the governor of florida was saying that he was not going to give trump up yes yes um, so it is and the i state would of- think if it was federally he would yeah yeah i'm not but then i've also heard arguments that um florida has no grounds on not allowing that whole situation now I'm just coming up with things. Please fact check this. But it's it's this idea of whether or not it's politically motivated, which I find quite interesting because me working in the legal field and being as interested in the legal field and doing as much research as I do on the legal field, you kind of realize how much of the law is wishy-washy and not as set in stone as you think it might be and i think a lot of people nowadays Mm -hmm. are kind of realizing that that there there are there could be two people from two different backgrounds two different races two different states um two different judges two different prosecutors two different criminal defense attorneys charged for the same thing and get two completely different outcomes right it is not set in stone so there's a lot of from from the people on Trump's side, there's a lot of hate and uh, backlash and protests for that reason. Um, and then along with that, the Trump followers that are following Trump for religious purposes, <laughs> I have not really seen a lot of um, coverage on this per se. I just want to like take a moment to think about like the hypocrisy of the fact that a lot of Trump followers follow him for religious purposes, but he is literally being indicted for sleeping with a prostitute and hiding it from his family. (laughs) 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 And it's like, obviously Trump hasn't really like Trump hasn't admitted to this. Like who, you know, he's, 
any smart person wouldn't admit to that when they're being, you know, indicted for, for a crime like that. But his whole thing, he said, I was just trying to protect my family. I'm just trying to protect my family. And it seems to be this kind of dance around what really happened. And, um, Trump trying to pretend to be this like nice, loving, moral father, family person, former president. So, um, I don't know. I just, I want to see how this plays out. I want to see how all of these little Trump followers <laughs> are able to kind of adapt to this idea that maybe Trump is not exactly who he, who they think he is morally. Um, I don't know. I think, what, what do you think on that, Margaret? Have you seen anything like people kind of uh, like thinking that none of it happened or, or, or trying to justify his actions? No, the only thing I've heard is what you already mentioned, where there are camps of people that believe that there's just this witch hunt out to frame Trump for anything that we can find because so many people hate him. Um, You know, that if he was a normal person or he wasn't so high up that, you know, they would have never even found these things and it wouldn't even be a big issue. So um, I've heard that as far as like from the religious groups, I have no idea. It's kind of been crickets. I haven't like Mm -hmm. really heard anything, but I also haven't gone searching and I haven't like asked people that I know are religious that, that have supported Trump in the past. Like if their opinion of him has changed at all, especially in light of the indictment. So it's hard to say. I think that would be interesting to kind of keep an eye out for and, and see how it unfolds. But also I think we have to keep in mind too. Remember during the pandemic, there were so many people. um, And I saw this like in the spiritual communities of people that kind of like went down these conspiracy whole like, or conspiracy theory rabbit holes with like QAnon Mm. um, and Pizzagate and like, you know, convincing themselves that, you know, Hillary Clinton was drinking baby blood. And, you know, there's this whole like uh, global cabal of like people that are trying to like take over humanity and let Trump's like, you know, our savior that has come to rescue us. And he's like Christ incarnated and, mm-hmm. you know, just like really ridiculous stuff. So, you know, you had people that were like literally living in a completely different, like alternate reality where you could like give them proof that Trump was not who they believed he was. And they would just like tell you that you were like living in a loot, like living a lie Mm, and that the Democrats had brainwashed you. So I do think that there's probably going to be those camps of people where even if Trump is like found guilty and he's put away for 20 years, like they will still like go to their graves, believing that he was like sent by God and that because the world is evil, that they threw him in prison and that we have Mm. not now lost all hope. So you just, I just, no, there's going to be those groups of people that are going to like believe so hard that nothing will sway them. Yeah. And I'm also kind of excited and curious to see how the rest of this case plays out because this is the very beginning stages. I mean, us speaking today, he hasn't even had his arraignment yet. Still waiting to see that guy's mugshot. Can't wait. And and see him in handcuffs. Hopefully we see him in handcuffs. I think that would be kind of funny. But um, I'm excited to see, or I mean, it sounds weird to say excited because it's like I'm happy, but curious to see how it plays out because he is simply wealthy, right? Because if they put him away, they're going to set his bail super high and they're just going to pay it and he's going to move back to Florida, right? And just wait it out. 
until until you know whatever ends up happening whether he ends up taking a plea or going to trial or whatever happens so I think it'll be cool or or interesting to see how um wealth plays into the criminal justice system and how people who have money are able to get away with more because that's not it's that's not easy or that's not hard to prove nowadays it is a very easy thing to to see when you really like look at a lot of these criminal criminal cases um and then also i'm curious to see how the 2024 elections play out because trump is running for president in 2024 and oh my god i hope his campaign picture is his mugshot i mean oh my god please oh my god hey can you imagine the memes just imagine the memes this election cycle I can't wait. It's going to be so funny. (laughs) But it's like, I already know so many people that are, especially living in Arizona, that are like, the second that, or, you know, the moment I am able to go vote, of course I'm voting for Trump. I can't wait to vote for Trump. Like, they're just dying to vote for Trump, especially with how many people are are unhappy with um, President Biden's, um, you know, presidential term. So... I don't know. Like what's I I have no idea what to expect. And I, from my research, it seems like nobody else knows what to expect because if for whatever reason he ends up going to prison, which I don't think he would, I don't think he would, but I would, I I can't say, but I don't like, you know, it's like who, like, I don't know. What if he goes on like probation? I, I don't know like how any of that plays out though, because obviously I don't know New York law. Um, I've never really studied a case on charges similar to this one to this degree. Um, this is probably, they're pro- they probably paid Stormy Daniels a fuck ton of money. And I think there's all there, or there is also an element of this that impedes on like the ethics of campaigning because in a I mean a lot of people get away with a lot of shit when it comes to campaigning and I wouldn't really know a lot about this this is just kind of my own analysis that there has to be some sort of like ethical reaper or some sort of impediment on ethics because he did this during his 2016 presidential election. I don't know if that makes sense, but it's like almost like he cheated a little bit and like played with his character and played with the way that people perceived him in order to get his vote. So I kind of wonder if that's going to play into it at all. And if that would ever affect his ability at, you know, continuing his 2024 presidential campaign. Mm. Well, and I wonder too, so like he's, you know, he's indicted, but I wonder if they find him guilty for any charges, even if he doesn't serve time, but he's still guilty. Would that right there make him ineligible to even run for president? Mm. See, this, this is everyone's homework. These, this, these are great conversations that we can have in the comment section. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. it's, it brings so many questions and it's like nobody really knows the answer to this because no one has really seen this play out. But there's also kind of a part of me that's like, don't expect much because more than likely he's just going to get away with it. But at the same time, there's a lot, the fact that, you know, Alvin Bragg did spend ha- all of this time and all of this energy to even bring this to light to even get him indicted like that takes 
a disgusting amount of work for someone to put in in order to even get to that point with someone as powerful as Donald Trump. So is that motivation enough to, or that motivation alone enough to have him pay for or pay consequence or pay for his cons, you know, his, his, uh, actions or is it just simply like a show? Is nothing really going to happen? Are we all getting worked up for this to just be a couple court hearings and a lot of money paid and a lot of media attention and nothing actually happens? Mm, these are good questions. And I think kind of like so many other events that have unfolded over the last few years, like we're really in such uncharted territory. I feel like we've been experiencing so many collective firsts um, mm-hmm. Or so many, like, completely crazy events, um, you know, like the COVID-19 pandemic, um, you know, we've been going through a huge racial reckoning in our country, very much needed racial reckoning in our country. Um, we've been going through just an entire, like, just so many shifts in our culture, um, you know, just even the fact that Trump won and was president for four years is just crazy mm-hmm. the the insurrection that happened on january 6th like there's so many things oh and then not even mentioning like just the state of our economy and the cost of living and just like how hard it is just to survive right now in this world like you know we've gone through so many like crazy once in a lifetime events in the last few years and so i feel like because of that I feel like we're in such uncharted territory and there's so much uncertainty and so much unknown. And because of that, really anything is possible. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm just, I'm curious to see how everything turns out, but I'm also kind of nervous. I feel like I, there's been a small part of me that's kind of like been avoiding politics recently just because it's been so stressful (laughs) and gas prices are going up and life is getting expensive and (laughs) you know, the (laughs) huge, but I don't know. I, I like I I'm really glad that you and I kind of picked these topics to talk about because you are more into like the social work aspect of things and I feel like talking about, you know, the Nashville school shooting was more like your area versus like the Trump d- indictment. I'm by I never claim to be anything other than just like basic level smart on politics, but it's like cool to me and I love talking about it and I love learning about it. Um so I really I really just put a shout out i'm so glad that you and i have like that that dynamic so we're able to break down two different topics like that and things that we're interested in agreed agreed yeah look at that and our our episode is longer than 20 minutes now yeah we're like oh we're so tired it's (laughs) only gonna be 20 minutes and here we are 40 something minutes into it (laughs) i know well, I need to go to Betty Bed, so let's uh, let's do our gratitude prompt. <laughs> okay, Margaret, what are you grateful for today? Mm, what am I grateful for today? Ooh, this is going to be a silly thing to be grateful for, but here in Dallas today on April 3rd, it hit 90 degrees. <laughs> <gasps> really? And, and I'm always cold, so I kind of enjoyed it being 90 degrees. Now I'm going to kick myself in a couple of months when it's like 100 degrees and like 90% humidity and I'm dying. I'm going to be like, why was I grateful for that one yeah. day when it was 90? But you know what? I've been cold all winter and I fucking enjoyed the sunshine in 90 degrees today. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh. Yeah. The, right, weather's been, the weather's been nice out here too. So it's been nice. It's, I'm enjoying it too. But yeah. What about you, Agnes? What are you grateful for today? So I would say the weather, but I'm not going to be a basic bitch. I'm just kidding. (laughs) 
Okay, oh, what thanks. I'm going to say is so materialistic, and you guys can judge me all you want, and I know this is, like, so bad for consumerism and materialism, but whatever. I'm grateful. Well, okay, it's not so much today. It was, like, this weekend, but this weekend, I went to Lululemon, <laughs> and I got oh so many cute new clothes. <laughs> don't judge i got the cutest things margaret i have to send you pictures i got these like i got pink hottie hot shorts and i got the aligned tank top and i got a fanny pack and and i got first tennis of all skirts. <laughs> first of all <laughs> i own zero lululemons because i'm poor so I want to know how the hell you can afford to buy so many Lululemons when I own nothing. It's a secret. It's a secret. <laughs> oh my God. It's seriously a problem. Like I will, I will buy the cheapest clothes. I will just, uh, I thrift. So like basically all my clothes are thrifted, but Lululemon baby is such a weakness. I just love it. It's like, it's like my dirty, dark consumerism secret. <laughs> I love Lululemon. I have like so many Lululemon bags. It's okay. I'll just stop talking. I'm I'm being judged right now. <laughs> Anyways, don't follow in my footsteps. Save your money. <laughs> well, I don't know. Eventually, one day, I'll have to try on these leggings that people rave about. But mm, I don't know. I don't one really day. wear leggings anyway. And I'm I'm more of a jeans or a skirt person. <laughs> Yeah, well, the second you try it on, you will be converted. I guarantee it. Oh, we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> wink, wink. <laughs> <laughs> we believe in the power of taking even one minute a day to breathe and find gratitude in the little things. Wherever you are, if you are able, close your eyes, take a deep breath in and out and reflect on something that you are grateful for today. We are so honored that you could join us in this discussion today, and we hope you have a beautiful week. If you enjoyed today's Unrefined Woman podcast episode, please be sure to like, subscribe, and share. To check out other episodes, please visit our website at unrefinedwoman.com, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. To stay in the loop and receive access to additional content, please follow us on TikTok, username unrefinedwoman, and on Instagram at unrefinedwomanpodcasts. Special thanks to Walter Birdsong for the album cover, Margaret Rainey for our podcast music, Andrew Cioni for our gratitude prompt music, and Sean Butcher for editing and production. Thank you so much, and we'll see you next week.
Your breathing is so loud. <laughs> I have allergies. They're so bad. <laughs> All I hear is like heaving on the other side of the microphone. <laughs> Listen. <laughs> Hot girls have allergies. 